0: Magic. Man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. Ye are my friends, if ye do what whatsoever I command you. John 15, 14. Draw my unto God and he will draw my unto you. James 4.8 <laughs>
1: Well, amen. If you enjoyed
2: that, say amen. amen. Thank you, kids. That was very nice. We got three songs. Turn to page
1: eighty-one. Sure, is a blessing and an encouragement to uh, see our kids serve the Lord in music. And kids, I want to tell you, don't ever stop serving God. Don't ever stop using your talents God has given. Always serve God with your whole hearts. So, it, a lot of work goes into tonight. I know, the, I know the helpers can tell you that. The people who work with the kids, a lot of work goes into this. Our last church, Rachel and I, we worked with the kids. We worked with them on verse memorization and songs. And then usually every couple of months we would uh, take, the, take, the teen, or take the kids and, and basically kind of like have a youth night where they would basically say the verse and all that stuff. It's a lot of work. It's hard enough to get them to stand where they need to stand let alone actually sing the songs. And so, um, so yeah, that was a blessing tonight for sure. Um, I want to first start off by thanking Pastor Shirk for giving me the um, opportunity to, to preach his word, to God, uh, God's word. Um, I don't take that lightly, and I definitely appreciate the opportunity uh, to share what God has laid on my heart. I mean, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to First Kings chapter 18? First Kings chapter 18. Pastor Shirk asked me about two months ago if I would bring the, the message for the next youth night, and I said absolutely, and I immediately knew what passage of Scripture I would be preaching from. There's a positive to that. There's a negative to that. The positive is I have two months to prepare the message. The problem is when you've been preparing at the same passage for two months, you have a lot more to preach than one message, right? So, um, I actually practiced to see how long it would take. I won't tell you how long it took me this afternoon. I will not tell you when I went back to the computer, and I will not tell you whether I added or took away stuff. I'll let you find that out this evening. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we will start our reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was sore famine in Samaria. Jump down to verse 17. And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send, and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and unto the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we could come to your house and that we could have a time to worship you. And I pray now that you would just be with us as we look to your word, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit, give me the words to speak, help me to preach what you would have me to preach. Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts for the encouragement and the challenge that you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Really where we pick up in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 is really a dark time in Israel. They hadn't had rain for three and a half months. and And the land was a a wasteland. It was a barren wasteland because it didn't have rain. It didn't have crops. If we, if we kind of read some more, uh, we would actually find that Ahab was sending people out to find water. We need to find water. Otherwise the cattle are going to die. So this, this, um, this was three and a half years of not having rain, not having water. And I think by way of introduction, I mean, this is a very familiar story. This is a story on youth night that even kids know. But I think it would help us as we dive into chapter 18, if we go back and just do a quick recap of why is Israel in this situation? Why is Israel going through this three years of famine? I'd like us to turn back just a page or two uh, to 1 Kings chapter 16. There towards the end of the chapter... And verse number 30, it says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Ahab was the most evil king that had ever sat on the throne of Israel. And, it, and that God basically said that, Ahab was the king that frustrated God the most, and that saw the most wrath by God. One of the main things that we can see is that Ahab married not a Jew, but a a land of one of the Canaanite countries in the land there, a a lady by the name of Jezebel. And we know the stories of Jezebel. She was not a very nice lady. She wasn't a very a good lady. She zealously pushed the worship of her God, Baal, upon the children of Israel and upon her husband. She was an idolater. She was malicious. She was killing prophets of God, forcing the children of Israel to serve Baal. Another thing that we find out that Ahab did is he built a temple unto Baal. Look at verse number, um, let's see, 32. And he reared up an altar for Baal and the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Rather than building a temple for God and worshiping God, he built a temple for Baal. And was worshiping Baal in that temple. If we were to go back and we were to read Leviticus and Deuteronomy God actually explained what would happen if the people did not obey his commandments. In Leviticus chapter 26, we read, If ye walk in my statutes, and keep my commandments, and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase. And the tree of the field shall yield their fruit. If you jump down a few verses, in 18, verse 18 it says, And if you will not... For all this, hearken unto me. Then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heart heavy, or heaven as iron, and your earth as brass. God in his law said, You need to obey my commandments. If you obey my commandments, if you follow me, if you worship me, I will bless you, I will give you rain. I will give you the crops. And we know that the promised land was a land that floweth with milk and honey. But God also said, if you don't hearken unto my words, if you don't listen, the land will become as brass. You will not see rain. You will not see, uh, uh, you will see a famine. And in Chapter 17 and verse number 1, let's go ahead and read that. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was on the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. God sent Elijah to Ahab to give Ahab a few reminders and a few words of the Lord. He told them that God is the God of Israel. He told them that God is living. He said that Elijah himself was God's servant and that there would not be rain. In James chapter 5 verse number 17 it says, El- "Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of 3 years and 6 months." And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah was sent by God, said, according to these words, you shall not receive rain. And Israel didn't receive rain for three and a half years. They were in a land of famine. As I mentioned earlier, they they were trying to find water, fresh water for the animals. And if they didn't find it, the animals would die. I'm not going to go through and break down all of chapter 17, otherwise we would be here all night. Um, But chapter 17 is really God watching over his prophet Elijah and preparing him for what God was going to do on Mount Carmel. We're, We're told about how Elijah was fed by ravens. How he was fed from the empty vessels at Zarephath. And how Elijah was even used to raise the widow's son. And God was preparing Elijah for this battle between God versus Baal. So in verse number 1 of chapter 18, the Lord comes to Elijah and says, It's time for you to go show yourself to Ahab. Now let me tell you something. Would you want to go and talk to somebody who you just told, who you told three years earlier? According to my words, you're not going to see rain. Would you want to go talk to that person? Ahab was trying to find Elijah. Ahab did not like Elijah. We see that by his response in verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? But Elijah obeyed. Elijah went and made face to face conversation with Ahab, the king. As we read, Ahab's response was basically, Are you the one that's troubling Israel? You are the one that's troubling Israel. But was it really Elijah's fault that they didn't have rain? It was Ahab's. And Elijah tells him that in verse number 18 he said, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Again, it's common for us when we're in sin and we're dealing with trials as a result of our sin to try to blame others. And to try to point the finger at others, point the finger at God. But it wasn't Elijah's fault. Elijah may have been the one who gave the words, you will not see rain. But it was Ahab's sin. It was Ahab's wickedness that caused the rain to cease. So, looking down in verse number 19, it says, Now therefore, this is Elijah speaking, And gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. As I mentioned earlier, we're about to see the battle between God versus Baal. Mount Carmel was located near the border of Israel and Phoenicia. So it was a good place for the Phoenician god Baal to meet Jehovah, the God of Israel. And Mount Carmel was even regarded by the Phoenicians as the sacred dwelling place for Baal. So now here we are coming to the the Mount Carmel to basically have this battle. Or basically have almost, we could say, a face-off. God versus Baal. The question we could ask, who is the true living God? So here they gathered. 450 prophets of Baal good portion of the ten tribes of Israel they're at Mount Carmel and Elijah starts off by saying how long haul ye between two opinions if the Lord be God follow him but if Baal then follow him Elijah was trying to bring the people back to God they were really kind of going between two opinions. Are we going to serve Baal? or Are we going to serve God? And they were more leaning towards serving Baal, because guess what? If they served God guess Jezebel was after them, Jezebel was there to try to kill him, to where prophets were hiding in caves because of Jezebel. And so here Elijah is starting off by saying, "You need to choose. You need to choose between God. And you need to or choose between Baal. And really, he was trying to point them to God. This is a common thing that happened, though, where the children of Israel did try to serve God and, and other gods. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse number 33, says, They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. And Elijah is pointing out, you need to choose Baal or you need to choose God. Whoever is the true living God. That is who you need to choose. Another thing that Elijah points out is that it's one prophet versus 450. If we look from a physical standpoint, Elijah was outmatched. You know, I think, I think of myself, if I was on Mount Carmel and it was me versus 450 people, physically, I wouldn't be able to win that battle. I probably wouldn't be able to win that battle versus one person, let alone 450. But here Elijah is pointing out, it's one of me, 450 of you. Uh, of you. And so Elijah, throughout this whole battle, spiritual battle, is trying to give these prophets of Baal every opportunity that we could say They could win. And he would give himself disadvantages, and we'll see that. The first thing he does is he even he lets them go first. Let's read verse number 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And ye call on the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first, for ye are many. And call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it, and they called on the name of Baal. So Elijah is letting them go first, He's basically saying, build you an altar, take you a bullock, put it on the altar, start calling out to Baal. And if fire comes down and that fire comes down on that altar, we will know that that is the true living God. So here are the 450 prophets of Baal. They have their altar here and they put the bullock on the altar and they start crying out to Baal they start saying, oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. And they're crying out. And it makes me think, it's, this isn't just one person saying, oh, Baal, hear us. 450 men were crying out to Baal, saying, oh, Baal, hear us. You know, it kind of makes me think, to get that in our minds, how many people were actually crying out? You know, I remember when I first started working at JASCO, this was before COVID and they would have these company-wide meetings and obviously a company in Oklahoma, most of the people there are gonna be OU fans. And so there was one company-wide meeting right before football season starts that they started doing the, the, whatever the Oklahoma team does by saying like, Boomer, well, that was pretty weak. All right, let's try that again. Boomer? Yeah. See? And so they were doing this back and forth. And, like, there was probably 300 to 400 people in that room. And here the, here the CEO is up in the company saying, Boomer, and everybody's, Shooter! And I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm like, what are you guys doing? You guys are crazy. Like, what? Boomer, Sooner, What? I mean, I can't talk, right? The Clemson Tigers, one of the things we do is we have to spell out Clemson, right? We say C-L-E-M-S-O-N, right? We do silly stuffs too, but, right, here, the, here in, this, in this place at work, people are crying out, "boomer sooner," and I'm just looking around like, what, what are you doing? This is crazy. Like, you, you guys look so silly. You look so dumb, right? It's youth not. I don't want to use too bad of words. You, you look kind of dumb, right? What are you doing? And think of what Elijah was thinking as he was standing back there and he was watching these prophets prophets of Baal say, Oh, Baal, hear us. They even began to jump up and down on the altar, right? They were jumping up and down on it saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. Now, that wasn't a very smart thing because if fire came down from heaven, what would happen? They would burn up. But I truly believe they were almost trying to say, I will be a sacrifice too. Baal, hear us. They were willing to sacrifice their lives for Baal. And all morning they're crying out, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Did Baal answer? Did Baal say, I'm here, here's some fire? No. To where Elijah was, oh, finally came over here and was like, he started to mock them and started to say, I mean, what, what's going on here? Is he asleep? Is he, is he out on a journey? Is he talking to something? Shout louder, right? And, 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 and so the prophets of Baal are, are crying out to God to where they even began to cut themselves and to spill blood all over the altar so Baal would hear them. But Baal didn't hear them, there was no response. And all day they cried. And all day they jumped up and danced around and looked like a bunch of silly people. And Baal did not respond. Baal could not answer them. Because Baal was not alive. Baal was an image. Baal, Baal was not... Real he was not a real he was not a real god, he was not a real person. most likely in temples he would have been a stone statue or a some type of metal statue or you know wood with gold over the top of it. Baal couldn't talk back. Baal couldn't respond right I, I, with with it being used not, I do want to try to use a few illustrations, kind of more on the youth level, right when I was growing up i used to i used to I used to collect stuffed animals. Kids, who in here love stuffed animals? Right? Most of the kids, adults who love what adults love stuffed animals. Alright, I got one adult at least. Alright, that's good. But right, growing up, I, I had these stuffed animals. And one of the first stuffed animals that I remember was this like, what are they called? Teeny babies or whatever they were called. And it was like a yeah, beanie babies, that's what it was called. All right, and so my first one was this dog. It was like a Bernard, whatever, and so I I was very creative with names. I called them Bernie, okay, and I liked I liked creating, or I, I liked getting stuffed animals that were dogs, and I was so creative in my in naming of my stuffed animals that I got when I got another dog stuffed animal. You know what that name was? Bernie two, okay, <laughs> Bernie three, Bernie four. I think I got up to Bernie seven is what I got up to, <clears throat> right? But Guess what? I I would play with with my stuffed animals and, right, Bernie would marry Kitty and then they had some kids and and all this stuff. But guess what? I would talk to my stuffed animals. They wouldn't talk back. Why is that? Because that stuffed animal isn't alive. It's not living. Guess what? Baal isn't alive. Baal isn't living. Baal isn't talking to us. Baal isn't responding to us. And so Baal gave no answer. All day, here they were crying out, and they received no answer. So uh, Elijah called all the people around during the evening sacrifice. So let's go ahead and let's look at verse number 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord That was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces. And laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifices on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. So here Elijah comes one of the significant things is Elijah didn't just build this new altar. He wasn't trying to introduce a new religion. He was trying to point the children of Israel back to the God that their fathers served. And so he repaired the altar. And he used 12 stones. And that's significant because at this point the, there was the divided kingdom. You had your northern ten tribes. You had your southern Two tribes, right? So Elijah was trying to signify you shouldn't be divided. And he built his altar. And he puts his bullock on top of it. And like I said earlier, this wasn't... Elijah was constantly trying to do things to make it harder for himself and to make it easier on the prophets of Baal. To where he basically had the people come and pour 12 buckets of water on the altar. Now, we know that water and fire don't mix well. What do firefighters use? They use water. Now, if you like the Andy Griffith show and Barney Fife, right, he likes to say you fight fire with fire. But guess what? You don't fight fire with fire. You fight fire with a hose. Right? And so he was pouring. Elijah was making it harder on himself. But I also believe one of the things that he was trying to, to, to do was he referred to it earlier where he was saying, don't put any fire under it. He was trying to show the prophets of Baal and the Israelites that were there that this isn't some magic trick that I'm doing. This isn't some secret thing that I I hit a fire underneath it. He wanted them to know that it was truly God. And so when Elijah had finished um, gathering his altar together and repairing it and putting the water over it, He began to pray. Look at verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering uh, of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Elijah's prayer, he's pleading with God that you would turn the hearts of the people back to you and that they would know that you are the true God. I could probably preach a message just off this prayer, but I have to summarize it tonight. Elijah was praying so God would get the glory and that people would be drawn back to them. And when he had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, and the Israelites saw the power of God over those, over those mountainside in the mountain, and the Israelites and they got to see the power that God showed. To where it just caused them to fall down on their faces. And all they could say is, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. God showed his power on that mountainside with fire coming down from heaven. Showing that he is the true and the living God. And and the Israelites knew. The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And so we see this fire from heaven. God uh, used fire from heaven uh, multiple times. If you read through the Old Testament, uh, we're not going to read those uh, due to sake of time. But really, uh, the two main passages I want to go to is where David and Solomon both saw fire come down on the the altars. And so the fire uh, from the Lord came after the altar had been restored. When the altar is neglected, the fire goes out. Man's work is to repair the altar, provide the offering. God lights the fire. The children of Israel, they weren't serving after God. To where the altars were broken down. And Elijah had to build the altar. And he had to repair it. And when he repaired it, um, fire came down. You know, the children of Israel, they were, they, were, they were balancing between two separate positions. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve Baal? And I think oftentimes we as Christians, we may not try to serve Baal, but we, we let things come into our life that take the place of God. Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Another thing that we find out through this fire is the fire of the Lord came in response to faith and prayer. You know, if you think about Elijah, the faith it took for him to stand before 450 prophets of Baal, the 10 tribes of Israel, that he had the faith now, he knew what God would do. He knew God would send fire from heaven. And how he was able to stand up and even mock them because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Baal wouldn't be able to answer, but he knew God would. And he had faith and prayer. And he was able to see a great work. And immediately God answered by fire. Through the fire God showed, he was the true And living God. Jeremiah 10, verse 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able, Uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me say that again, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignations. So, kind of in closing, in summary tonight, I've entitled the message. We can see victory through the power of the living God. You know, if you look around at other religions, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Hindus, even the, even the Catholics and how they pray to Mary, it's all very, they, they have their rituals. They have their prayers that they have to quote. They have all their things that they have to do. There's times, times of the year where they have to, to go on special diets where they can either only eat fish or they can't eat meat and they have to fast and to do all these things and it's a ritual. But guess what? The God we serve is not serving. We don't have rituals that we do. We can have that relationship with God. That separates us apart from any other religion for, I mean, first off, we serve the true and living God, first off, but we have that relationship. But I think a lot of times we struggle with having that daily relationship. When we, when we come to church, a lot of times when we sing, are we really singing out to the living God? You know, I've been churches. I was in a church a couple years ago, and you walked in, And the song service started, and it was like, I feel, I've never been to a Catholic church. I've heard about the services, but it's like, I feel like I'm in a Catholic church right now. It was like, people were not singing out. People weren't singing out to the Lord, and it was just like, it was like everybody was going through the motions. When we come to church, are we singing out to the God? Are we singing out to the living God? God, when people walk in the door of this church, can they tell that we are a church that serves the living God? We need to make sure that we're not dead Christians, but living Christians. And it's kind of interesting. Pastor Shirk has kind of made some comments the last few weeks. And I'm like, that kind of goes along with my message. That kind of goes along with my message. You know, Pastor Shirk, I think it was two weeks ago, talked about Christians being asleep and not really having much of a walk with God because they're sleeping. Why would we sleep when we serve the living God? And so it's just kind of interesting. They hear two months ago, God laid this passage on my heart. In the weeks leading up to me preaching the word, things are being said in services. Even a testimony was given uh, last Wednesday night about their prayer life and how they're trying to talk more about to God like He's a friend, like He actually hears us. I think a lot of times in our prayer life we just go through the motions. We just read through a prayer list and we don't. We're not even thinking about what we're doing. We're not even thinking about that we're truly talking to a living God. So I, I kind of want to break it down into two points here. The first thing is maybe some some encouragement are some challenges for us like Elijah repaired the altar we need to repair our temple first Corinthians chapter 3 verse number 16 says know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of God he him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy which temple ye are Our body is the temple of God. And we need to make sure that we keep sin out of our life and and that we avoid those things. Like I said, Pastor Shirk has kind of made some comments along the line, so I'm actually going to use some of his verses uh, that he used this morning. Colossians 3, 5 says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate, affectionate, Evil consciousness and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I, I thought what Pastor Shirk preached on this morning was just what, I, I know it was just what I needed. Because normally when I stand up here and I preach, I'm preaching for me more than I'm preaching for you. Because I, I, I preach the things that God works on in my life. And, and the way that we can really let God s- serve in our lives like we are the, we serve the living God is exactly what Pastor Shirk talked about this morning in Colossians 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think far too often us as Christians, we go through the motions. We read our Bible in the morning and we check off a box and we get through the full week and we've, we have a checkbox on every single day and we're like, look, hey, look at, look at me. I read my Bible every single day and I've done this before. I'm like, hey, that was a good week. I read my Bible every single day this week. It doesn't happen much. And then, but then I think about it. I'm like, how did it help me? Was I meditating on what I read throughout the day? Was I thinking about what I read throughout the day? Was I letting God's word use me? One of the things I've been challenging the teens uh, in Sunday school as we've been going through the book of Ezra is to be a doer of the word. It's important to do the word. So again once we uh, cleanse our life of sin, God is able to use us and he is there to help us. I've got uh, a living God is there to give us strength. Joshua 1:9, have I have not I commanded thee be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be sad. We don't have to be scared. Why is that? Because there is a living God who is going about trying to help us. He is there for us. He is there to give us strength. He is there to give us help. Like I said, I mentioned this earlier, a living God hears our prayers. 1 John five fourteen, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. God hears us when we pray. When we pray, are we, do we truly believe that? Are we actually praying that God is actually hearing us? Because guess what? He is. And God is there to hear us and to answer our prayer. And then lastly, in our day and age, we may not see fire coming down from heaven, but God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to point people to him. Acts 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 2 Timothy 1 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us gives us the power and the boldness that we need. But we have to be walking in the spirit. And then lastly, like I said, with the boldness, I want to focus on that just in closing. Acts 14, verse number three. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to, the, to be done by their hands. If you read through the whole book of Acts, and we will see it as Pastor Shirk preaches through the book of Acts, that there's boldness, that a lot of times you, you read phrases, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and what comes after that is, being, is having boldness. God has given us the Holy Spirit, who can give us boldness to claim his word and to share his word with others. I just think of times going out and knocking on doors, and how there's been many, many times where Pastor Shirk and I, just in the past, have gone knocking on doors. We would always kind of do this thing where, like, it kind of changed every time. Sometimes it was like, if you talk to somebody, then we switch. And then, you know, Pastor Shirk would talk to somebody. Or sometimes we'd say, oh, well, you talk to a few people, and if they don't like you, then we'll switch. You know, so we we did all these different kinds of things. But I remember always saying... You know, Pastor Shirk, and he wasn't Pastor Shirk at this time, okay? But, you know, it's like, Pastor Shirk, you know, he's really kind of like the head Sunday school teacher. He's, he's practically like the assistant pastor. He really needs to be the one, uh, you know, leading. And I'm, I'm a really good prayer partner. I'm, I'm good at just sitting there silent, you know, praying, talking with God. And so, like, but here I am, I'm fearful. And it's like, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to do it. And then Pastor Shirk would say, all right, I did a few, now it's short turn." I remember I knock on the door, and it's like you're almost praying. I didn't quite, you know, pray those prayers, but you're almost to that point where you're praying, I hope nobody comes to the door. (laughs) I hope nobody comes to the door. And then on top of that, one of the things in this day and age is you have these ring doorbells, trying to witness to somebody with the ring doorbell. Now, that's quite the experience, where you ring on the doorbell, and you're like, and they're like, who is it? And it's like, you know... My name's uh, David. We have Jason. Again, he wasn't Pastor Shirk at the time, so as they did, we got Jason here, and uh, we, you know, we're just out from Harvest Hills Baptist Church, just kind of passing out gospel tracts, doing a survey. You know, do you have a few minutes? What did you say? And so, like, you go through this whole thing where they can't hear you, you can't hear, and they don't come to the door because most likely they're not even home. And so, you know, you, you start walking away, and Pastor Shirk, it's like oh, I have to do the next door? Didn't I just talk to somebody? It's like, that, did that not count because they didn't physically come to the door? No, but right here I'm scared. I shouldn't be scared. Why is that? I have a living Holy Spirit who dwells within me that gives me the boldness to proclaim his word. May we use this as a reminder. I, I haven't t- said anything that you guys didn't already know. Well, maybe except my you know, stuffed animals and you know, different <laughs> stuff like that, right? I haven't shared anything that you don't know, but I hope this reminder will help us. We serve a living God. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that you are a living God, that you, can give, us, that you give us strength, that, the, that you are there to hear our prayers. And that, you can, that through your Holy Spirit, you give us the boldness to claim your word. May we not forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah,
2: I'm not going to repeat David's message, but just as a matter of invitation, we're going to go ahead and stand, and we're going to sing page 635, I have decided to follow Jesus. We are serving the living God, a God of power, a God of strength, and, and we need to take the time to make that decision. How long halt you between two opinions? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let's sing 635, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I HAVE DECIDED TO FOLLOW JESUS, NO TURNING BACK, NO TURNING ON THE SECOND VERSE. THE WORLD BEHIND ME, THE CROSS BEFORE ME, THE WORLD BEHIND ME, THE CROSS BEFORE ME, THE WORLD BEHIND ME, THE CROSS BEFORE ME. me. No turning back, no turning back. Okay, Mr. Tillman, do you mind closing us in prayer this evening?